time and welcome to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So how was your week, Jimmy? Well, it was Halloween weekend, so that's always exciting. I do love some spookiness, so it's always... I feel like I get an extra dosage of spookiness on on Halloween, so that was kind of enjoyable. Was anybody doing anything in Austin for Halloween? I know here we didn't have many people. I mean, I guess we saw like... Some people had like small little parties and every now and again you might see some people walking around in costume, but it was nothing like previous years. No, no one was really out about, I wasn't really out downtown or anything. I met up with some, some friends and then we hung out and then we all dressed up. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this show, what we do in the shadows, but I dressed up as the character Guillermo from that show this year. Nice. I've heard of the show. I'd be lying if I told you I knew much about it. But yeah, it sounds like a so like a vampire costume, I'm guessing. No, he's actually the familiar to the vampires. So it's just like a sweater and glasses. So I, w- I went really easy this year for Halloween. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because I've seen you do like crazy costumes and Comic-Con and stuff. I usually go easy on Halloween, too. So you're never going to hear me judge you for that. Yeah, so, but, you know, next year, maybe uh, a Full Metal Alchemist costume, once I can go out and about. I was just saying, yeah, I would, that would be great to just, you know, go out. And what a great costume to go back out in public with. Yeah, I would avoid being Alphonse, though, in the Texas heat. That would probably be terrible. Oh, man, if you use actual metal as well, oh, burning up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ed would definitely be bad because he's always wearing like a, a jacket and everything. But and then, of course, you'd have to have that wig. But Alphonse would probably be worse. Man, I'm I'm trying to think of who I would like to go as. If I'm not Alphonse or Edward, what other character would there be? Hmm, that's a tough one. Yeah, they all wear such like thick clothing, just going everywhere. Then again, like yeah. The nights around this time of year aren't that bad, though, so. Oh, yeah, we're getting definitely cooler weather coming through, so. Maybe a military jacket wouldn't be too bad. I remember, was this years ago? So I've always been known for being a lazy costume person, which is kind of funny. Uh, But I remember years ago, I went to a party in college and you were supposed to bring costume and I didn't have one. So then I got creative and I had like a black hoodie in my car. So I put it on and this was when heroes was really popular. So I just claimed that I was Siler and I took everybody else's powers. Oh, nice. Oh, I love heroes too. That's a great show. Yeah. So that was my lazy costume. There was a few times where I would just go in my suit, like my, my, um, you know, fancy suit. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm a business person. And like that was like so it's like the super lazy Halloween costumes for me. Oh man. I I would say I have lazy costumes, but I don't I don't know if they're lazy costumes. Uh, my like drawer is full of face paints and extra felt and I have my hot glue gun, so I'm always ready for a, a costume party or if something comes up, I'm like, I guess I can build something overnight. Yeah, that's probably the best thing to do is just if you have a bunch of stuff like hot glue and 
and cotton and all that weird stuff around. It's like super easy to make a costume, but I just have like regular everyday things lying around. So it's just like, okay, well, I could tie this tie to the top of my head and pretend I'm a ninja or something. Have you ever gone as like, I don't know, like trash or something like that? In high school, we had this like Halloween thing and I glued a whole bunch of socks and plastic to me. And I was like, I'm static electricity. Have you ever done a costume like that? One of those just like weird last minute things. I don't think I've done one of those, but I'm so kind of surprised that I haven't. Cause that is totally in my wheelhouse of something I would do. So. But, yeah. So Halloween passed, which was, it was, it was eventful, but uneventful. So, but I'm glad, you know, we're doing the podcast today and, I got to watch some full metal, so that's always exciting. Nice. I just went on a hike yesterday. I think that's about, well, that's not all I did. But yeah, I went on a decent hike with the dog. We went to uh, Pacifica, actually, which was really nice. And got to, it wasn't a really, really long trail. And we kind of looped around a few times. But being right on the edge of the beach and seeing the ocean, really nice. Oh, nice. Were you getting like that ocean breeze off of it and everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's perfect. Oh, yeah. And there's maybe a handful of people there. Um, not not really all that much. So you know, it was not too much social distancing that you had to do, just virtual the fact that there weren't even that many people there. So it was kind of nice and get some nice air and, and whatnot. I mean, it, there's better times to be there during the year, granted. Like, uh, I think I've gone hiking in that area in the spring when there's flowers and stuff. And right now it's fall, so, like, the grass is turning brown and all that jazz but still it was nice to be right ocean side yeah ah i miss uh seeing the california ocean i usually try to get over there at least once a year you know for uh comic-con and just just the ocean view and feeling the breeze and like like the saltwater breeze it's just i miss it hopefully next year is different I bet it will be. I, this this isn't going to be the new normal forever. I mean, I think things will definitely change, but I don't think we're going to be stuck in this reality forever. Uh, I mean, there's no way things aren't going to change. Like the way I've always, the way I've seen people say it is like anytime some kind of tragedy happens in America, inevitably it it results in some kind of permanent change. But you know, uh, I think we'll still be able to. I think sometime this year we'll be able to travel. Let's say that. I'm hoping so. And I hope in Marvel just gives us like 12 movies next year. I know. So we just finished with, uh, with Shang-Chi and then, uh, presumably, you know, Eternals and Black Widow have been done filming, uh, between now and probably next summer, they're probably going to at least film one more show or one more movie rather. So by then they should at least have four movies ready to go if they, if they didn't decided to wait until next summer i'm just like why not just release them all like i get it i I get that they're saying well we want to split it up because of timelines and you know people won't see it if there's too many movies going on but i beg to differ i think if people are just starving to actually see movies again so once theaters are open and normal there might be people who just spend all day in the theater watching movies i I would definitely be one of them i will go see that movie multiple times in that month and then the next month give me a new one so i i think we're all starving for kind of content 
and we're ready for it. So as soon as they like give the green light to movie theaters, you know, I'm sure everyone will be back. Uh, I used to do that when I was a kid, actually not a kid, but like uh, when I was in high school, I would go to the movie theater and when it was cheapest on Sunday and I would go there at like maybe one and hang around until seven or eight and just see three movies back to back. I I don't now I'm trying to remember how it feels to be in a movie theater. I don't even think I remember. It's been it's so long, but it's going to be great to like the dimming of the lights. And I wish we had a, a true IMAX theater here in the Austin area. We have the museum, but it's like it's not the same. I think that one does qualify, though, as an IMAX. Yeah, but the seats are like museum seats. They're like wooden and they barely have any cushion. They were not meant to be sat in for two hours. They're like for 15 minute movies. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, because I think that's the only one that is an official IMAX. And I can't remember where I read it, but something about IMAX, the branding changed sometime a few years ago where there's like a mini IMAX. So you'll see theaters that say they have IMAX theaters, but they are not as big as the theaters we saw. You know, when I was, I remember the IMAX theater was a big deal for field trips and we'd go and it was just this massive thing. And it's like nowadays, not so much. Yeah. I think the closest true IMAX theater to me is in uh, San Antonio. I believe San Antonio has a, uh, a true IMAX screen there. So yeah, downtown, I might have to make a pilgrimage over there for the right movie. Maybe Spider-Man three. I'll go over there. When that comes out, yeah, it's like oh, that's I think they just started filming that one too. So yeah, there, there's going to be four or five movies in the can ready to put out next year. So they might as well just do yeah, it. It's just I want all, and then so we got Marvel movies, and then DC or Warner Brothers has their. I think what do they have one movie out? Like the Suicide Squad's already done filming, so that that's ready to go. Wonder Woman as well, but I think that one's coming out. So. Oh, yeah. Man, I totally forgot about Wonder Woman. It's because it's they advertised it so long ago, and it should have been out already. That It's it's not... Yeah, it's past its yeah, release it's not date. It's not on top of my mind anymore. I am looking forward to when we can go back to theaters again and start watching movies like normal. Uh, it's just there's something missing in in the whole home theater thing and i have a popcorn maker and i can't get my popcorn to be like movie theater popcorn i don't know what they do to their popcorn or how they pop it or how they're putting their fake butter on their popcorn but my popcorn never tastes like it does at the movie theater i'm missing that i'm missing that weird movie theater popcorn i i'm right there with you well i guess we should stop reminiscing and jump straight into the episodes good Cool. Let's see. So now we're at episode 20, Father Before the Grave. I like how there's not a lot of buffer time between the two episodes, because as soon as one episode ends, like it picks up where the last one was. So uh, so this one is just like that. It picks up exactly where that last one ended. And Edward has returned to Risenbull and has seen his father, Hohenheim, sitting or standing rather outside of the grave of their mother. And so Edward is naturally a little upset, like thinking, what, what are you doing here? The interaction was definitely weird for a father and son. Hohenheim was very stoic and just said, oh, you've grown and stuff like that. Uh, he mentions that he talked to Binaco and learned that the 
Elric brothers tried to do human transmutation and naturally failed. This upsets Edward, and then he asks, well, why is you here? He has nothing He has nothing here in Risenbull anymore. And Onheim's like, yeah, I know. You guys burnt down my house. Why did you burn down my house? And then Ed says, well, he did it as a symbol of their resolve to never look back. And Hohenheim says, nope, that's, that's not it. You did it to hide your failure. Uh, it's like a kid hiding their blanket after they wet the bed. Uh, they wanted to get rid of any evidence of them having an error. Edward walks off in disgust. Hohenheim comments to himself how much Ed reminds him of himself at that age. We fast forward to that evening. Hohenheim and Panaco are talking. It's late in the evening. They're just kind of chilling. And Hohenheim asks if the body that the boys created was indeed Trisha. Well, Panaco says, oh, no, our, I mean, it definitely wasn't human. And Hohenheim says, well, that's not what I asked. What I asked was, was it, was it Trisha? What color were its eyes? And Hohenheim was pretty much getting at the fact that when the brothers tried human transmutation, they didn't bring their mom back. They definitely created something, but it wasn't their mom. Ed is in another room. He overhears it, and this kind of takes him aback. We go back to Central a little bit, and Ling is hanging out with Alphonse and Winry. Ling asks Alphonse about his body, and Ling is really interested because Alphonse doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't run out of breath. And Alphonse mentions, well, you know, technically I still could die because... What I learned from the Barry the Chopper incident was that a soul cannot live in a foreign body for too long. So this body will eventually reject my soul. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. And Ling's like, well, that's not a big deal. Because if you just, you know, if this body starts to get bad, you just attach yourself to another body and keep going. And why not enjoy this? You're immortal. You don't have to eat. You don't have to sleep. This is... Like I don't see the downside to this. Winry gets really upset. She storms out, ultimately because she just she knows that this isn't great. Like that, Alphonse isn't enjoying this because he's yes, effectively he's immortal, but he's not human. He doesn't get to enjoy the human benefits like eating or sleeping. So Winry cries. Alphonse tries to console her. We jump back to Risenbull. Edward has an, a nightmare where he starts to believe that, well, he's no different than Shao Tucker because he experimented with life and now Alphonse doesn't have a body. Well, Hohenheim now leaves. He tells Panaco that something terrible is going to happen to the country. Panaco states that she's not leaving. She's got too many people who depend on her. And then Hohenheim says, you know, you've been warned. And he makes a remark about how he is sad that he's not going to be able to enjoy her cooking anymore. Fast forward a little bit in the day, it starts to rain and Edward goes up to the graveyard and starts digging up the body that they created. Apparently they gave it a proper burial after uh, it dies. Edward continues to dig with, you know, it's taking a physical toll. It's raining. Obviously with this raining on the dirt, the dirt's becoming heavier He's definitely feeling some of the aches in his body, but he just has this resolve that he's not going to run away from this and he's going to get the answers. Edward finds a strand of hair. He dumps it in some water and he is taken aback because he realizes, well, my mom has this chestnut brown hair. 
and the hair that I have is jet black, the, the hair that he had in his hand. Pinaco and Edward exhume the skeleton, examine it, and realize, oh, this is definitely not your mother. The femur is too long. The, uh, the, the hips look like they belong, or the pelvis looks like it belongs to a male. Uh, of course, there's a hair issue. So, like, this is, you, you guys definitely created something, but you didn't bring back your mother. Well, this lets Edward know a few things. One, death is permanent. You can't bring people back to life. But then he also realizes that that monstrosity created wasn't his mom, so he didn't bring his mom back just to have her suffer and die again shortly after. Edward calls Izumi to kind of let her know what he had learned. Naturally, Izumi's a bit offended and hangs up. Uh, Edward lets Panako know how her kids died uh, in the war. Uh, Panako realizes that she forgot to give Hohenheim a message. Apparently, uh, before she died, Trisha says that she wants her to have ask Hohenheim to forgive her because she died first. A kind of cryptic message, but that's what Panako says. Gives it to Edward to give to Hohenheim. Ed returns to Central. Al fills him up at everything that happened with Lust and, and Barry the Chopper. Ed repairs Al's armor. Lets Al know everything he learned about his mother uh, in the, the experiment. So they decide to talk a little more because Ed now has this theory. Ed asks Winry and Al about why Winry rejected Al's marriage proposal. Now, the reason for this was because Winry, this would be a memory that Winry and Al would have, but not Edward. So if they both remember it, that means that it is indeed Al's soul that is attached to the armor. So that Ed concludes, well, if I was able to pull your soul out from the gate, I must be able to pull your full body out somehow. Al tries to remember exactly what happened when he went through the gate. He realizes that his body was taken from him and, and he was placed actually inside of the body that they created. So his soul was briefly in that monster's body, whatever you want to call it. The body had rejected it because it was a foreign soul, and that's why it died so quickly. And that's presumably because the soul wasn't gone for long, why Edward was able to pull it out. But, yep, this means that, uh, well, Izumi calls and confirms that the baby that she created wasn't her baby. This gives her comfort because, one, she realizes she didn't make her baby suffer twice. But then, two, she realizes she did not make a mistake in her alchemy. She literally tried to do something that was impossible. Death is permanent and you can't bring somebody back. So it wasn't that she didn't try hard enough or she made a mistake. She just, she tried to do something that can't be done. So Al then decides that he really does want his body back. He, earlier he had mentioned that he doesn't want his body back if it causes people to die, but now he's had a change of heart and he says, you know, I want, I don't want any more nights alone. I don't want to have to spend the night up all night while everybody is sleeping and so they decide that they're going to figure out even more now, so even now more so than ever, to figure out how to get Ed's, or sorry, get Al's body back. And the episode ends with Winry kind of checking Edward out and I guess starting to get attracted to him. And that is the end. 
So what what your thoughts on this one, Jimmy? My initial thought to this episode is that everyone seems so relieved with information that would have sent me personally spiraling down because everyone finds out that, I mean, I'm saying everyone, but it's Ed, Al, and Azumi, their teacher, find out that when they try to bring someone back from the dead, that they did, they were unsuccessful because it can't be done and they brought something else back. But it costs each one of these people a part of them. And that would have uh, ruined me knowing that I sacrificed a part of my body or my whole body and was not even successful or close to being successful. True. I do see that point. I think what they are getting at or what they're trying to get at is the fact that because the boys or the brothers, I guess everybody who's tried this, like... On one hand, they might have guilt because they thought that they actually brought the person back to life, albeit in a monstrous form, only to have that person die, what, a minute afterwards? So it's like, oh, we brought him back. They were in this, you know, monstrous form. Clearly, they were in pain, so they wanted to die. And they did die, so we we made him suffer twice. Then there's probably also the guilt of, oh, I, I could, it could have been done. I just didn't do it right. Like if I had just done, if I just did the calculation a little differently or something to that effect, then then they definitely would have come back. But I just could, didn't get the formula right, and that's why they died, and that's why uh, that's why it failed because I just wasn't good enough. Where now to realize, well, no, it failed because it was never going to work. I guess is a sense of relief for them in that sense, and also letting them know that they didn't kill somebody again or they didn't re-kill their mother. Yeah, I just, for me, watching this episode and thinking about putting myself in that situation, it especially Al, who has no body anymore, to kind of be like, I sacrificed myself for nothing, really. I, it, for me personally, I, that that's what I took away from that part of the episode, was that, oh, this is this is very tough news, and everyone seems to... I guess everyone's looking on the brighter side that they didn't twice kill their loved one or torture their loved one a second time. So, but that's my first takeaway from this episode. Yeah, I could see that. It makes sense. I definitely thought it was a, it was weird how they did seem super relieved because I, I get it. I would be a little upset too realizing that I lost my arm or I lost my body or I lost my internal organs for nothing. Like it was a fool's error and it was never going to work anyway. That would definitely be tough to deal with. Uh, but, you know, I think ultimately I, I, I'm, in the situation they're in, I think what they're more cared of, concerned about is, oh, well, it wasn't our fault. This was never going to work and we didn't kill anybody accidentally. So I think that's kind of where they're going. Maybe definitely... Well, you're mentioning a whole, well, look at the bright side type of attitude. Yeah, but going back to on a different note, I did like how uh, Ed meets Hohenheim, his dad. And his dad basically uh, kind of reads him. like He's like, you burned down the house, but this is truly why you did it. And he kind of sees through Ed in this way that I think 
all of us can like relate to that uh, if a stranger told us that same thing it wouldn't we would probably not acknowledge it or have a comeback for it but when your parent says it to you it kind of cuts you like a knife it like you could tell that it like shook edward and that coming from his dad like only your dad could do that so i i thought that was pretty interesting yeah, also, I found their, the, the dynamic of their relationship really interesting. So I kind I get Edward being mad at his dad because his dad was a, left him behind and abandoned him and everything. So that, that part of the relationship and the contempt that he had made sense. But the stoicism of Hohenheim, that was really bizarre to me. Just the fact that he was like kind of lackadaisical on everything. Just, oh, well, you look well. Uh, why did you burn down my house? That, like, there's just there wasn't. He didn't come across as fatherly at all. Well, even at the end, Ed doesn't call him like dad or father when um, Grams is like, "Can you give him this message for me?" And then he doesn't say, "Oh, he doesn't say dad or father." He says, "Oh, and I'm like, he's just this other person in the, his life, not related to him at all." Yeah, he definitely does not call him daddy or anything like that. It's just uh, he acknowledges the relationship in the sense that, you know, the only reason he exists is because that's his genetic father, but he does not see him as a father since he left them. Which is interesting because he does call, um, Graham's name is Pinaku, right? Pinaku? Uh, Pinaka. He does call her Graham's, even though they are not blood related. But it's still, and I know she's an older woman, but he doesn't call other old people Gramps or Grams. He calls her Gramps like, you're my family. But yet he doesn't, he calls like his true dad by his um, real name. I I, I don't know. That's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, because I think that she was always kind of a family member for them. Uh, like a, a surrogate grandmother, because we never really see their actual grandmother at all in this show, or at least not not yet. And apparently there was some time that passed between when Trisha died and when the boys tried to bring her back. Uh, I estimate a few years. I Let's say two years. I don't know if the story ever outright spells it out, but some time passes. So I think uh, during that time, she was essentially their caregiver. So they kind of see her as a mom or a grandma figure in that way. Yeah, I just I find it interesting. Like she's more of a family to them than he is, who is actually their family. And I think Edward maybe somehow blames or on some level blames Hohenheim for their mom dying. Like, uh What's the word? Like his mom, uh, his mom maybe dying of a broken heart or something like that. Or if he were around, they could he could have cared for her. Maybe she died over the stress of having to care for two kids on her own or something to that effect. So I think Hohenheim also or Hohenheim is also kind of blamed for all of this. Yeah, it's it's interesting. He comes in, he gives us this uh, tidbit about. Uh, the mom and did they really bring the mom back and he doesn't tell edward that directly because uh, edward's eavesdropping on them 
and he overhears this. So it's it's really interesting. He comes, he kind of leaves some some clues behind, and then he's out of there. And but he takes the the picture of them as kids, or like uh, I guess a family picture, because he doesn't have any, which I find interesting as well. So yes. The fact that he did take that is nice because it does it does show that that means something to him. And I don't know if you caught that, but like briefly when Hohenheim is telling the stories or not telling the stories, but he's asking the question about Trisha and that body, he briefly like looks backward or his eyes turn backward or to the corner of his eye. And then the, the show kind of, pans over to the other side of the door and shows Edward. And I kind of, to me, it kind of hinted that he knew that Edward was standing outside of the door. I I do figure he probably had another sense of this because, or a sense that Edward is eavesdropping or he's really kind of like leaving these clues because maybe Ed wouldn't have listened to him if he would have asked straight out. Cause that's, I feel like that's a very touchy subject to talk about. His the mom that he blames his dad, kind of for her death in a way, to, to bring up the maybe you didn't really bring her back and that's not your mom. So, yeah, he he's helping them out, but I wonder if they're going to be able to repair this relationship. We'll find out because Edward has that message for him, and definitely they're going to run into each other again. So. We'll, we'll find out what happens if anything happens to that relationship. I did find it interesting because I, if I recall correctly in that episode, they were ha- they were talking about something else, Panaco and Hohenheim, just like a very casual chat about travel or something like that. And then Hohenheim just kind of brings up Trisha out of nowhere. So it does seem to me like, yeah, he knew Edward was on the other side of the door. Maybe he heard the ground creek or something and that's why what let him just talk about that so that he can drop a clue to edward without actually telling edward yeah and edward going out to dig the body up which was i found great and then grams is helping him which is it really shows like how much of a family um they are to her that she's gonna go out there and i know she's not this fragile woman, but she's, she realizes there's no turning him around from not digging up this body. And she goes out there and helps him. And has it been established before that Ed's body gets weak from the rain? Cause I've, I thought we've seen it rain before. He's never been like, Oh, my body's sore. It's never been brought up, but I think what it was, was that because it was raining, the dirt turns to mud and it becomes heavier, so it's a lot more effort for him to dig it up. And he also didn't seem to be really taking any breaks, so I think he was pushing himself too hard. And then another thing, it's never really brought up, but my thoughts are like, you know when you break, or maybe, well, I have never broken an arm, but I know people who have have told me that, like if you break a bone or something, it, is, it becomes very susceptible to atmospheric truck changes so like they can say oh i know it's going to rain because my knee is bothering me or something like that i'm wondering with the auto mail or where the auto mail connects to his uh to his body if maybe that's a weak spot and the low pressure upsets him or maybe by him 
digging too much. He's pulling on the auto mill or stretching the auto mill too much, and it's hurting his body. I, I'm, there's a few things that came to mind there. I I do I find it interesting. I thought this maybe is why he didn't do as well against. Uh, I I don't know. Was it raining the first time he fought Scar? Because I remember Mustang being not able to use his powers or something like that. Yeah, it was it, raining. Yeah, so maybe that. I, as soon as he was like, oh, my body's aching because of the weather and it's about to rain. I was like, oh, man, maybe this is why he wasn't more of a in a fight with Scar during that. Maybe he's kind of like slowed down because of the weather. But I did find that interesting. And they pull out the whole skeleton after they dig it up. And it's uh does not look like a full person skeleton. There's a lot of pieces missing, I assumed. Yeah, I'm guessing maybe they didn't pull everything up, but at the same time, it's it. I mean, when we saw it after that transmutation, it definitely didn't look human. So I'm thinking maybe it wasn't uh, at all anyway. So who knows? Or it was it was it was semi-human. Let's put it that way. It was it looked kind of human, but not really. Yeah, it reminds me of like the Grudge or, or the Ring, <laughs> like. It had that kind of like the elbows out and walking kind of like a spider s kind of thing. But they yes. like have the bones out and and uh, Graham's is like, this is a male femur. So she assumes that's when they kind of really come to the conclusion that this couldn't have been his mom because there's like a male male bones in there. So now I'm curious as to like how all this is going down. Cause I watched this like the first time thinking they're trying to bring their mom back in her full form. But now watching this episode, are they trying to just create a body and then put their mom's soul into it? Is that what's happening? Yeah, that's what I think happened because we see that whole thing where they collected all the ingredients for an adult human body and then they added their blood to it. And I think uh, they, they figured the blood was kind of the the ingredient for the soul, if you will. So, yeah, I think what they were trying to do was just create a new body and then attach their mom's soul to it. That was ultimately their goal. And I th- they were kind of right they some i mean they created a body that was briefly alive granted ed soul or not ed al soul was in it but it did die within a few minutes and it did not look like a normal human it looks like a very it had human features like head and hair and arms and stuff but yeah it looked very very contorted and very monstrous yeah and then i guess another point in this episode did you think barry for me, when Barry the Chopper in last week's episode was talking about the soul rejecting the body, I thought he wasn't talking about his armor body. I thought he was talking about the flesh body. I think he was too, but I think Edward maybe got, or not Edward, Alphonse got the wrong message out of it. Or maybe he didn't get the wrong message out of it. Maybe it's both. Maybe you know, maybe because of the flesh and bone uh, body rots, the soul doesn't, like, just because it has a foreign soul, it continues to rot anyway because the body still thinks it's dead. 
whereas the metal body probably is going to deteriorate too. Uh, but at the same time, it probably deteriorates at a lower level or at a, at a slower pace. So, you know, Alphonse, at some point, the armor is not going to be able to hold the soul anymore. So that's kind of the, what I'm guessing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was confused at that part because Al is spiraling down his own uh, kind of crisis moment right now, thinking that his body is going to reject him at his armor body is going to reject him at any moment. When I feel like he's safe in the armor body and what we should be worried about is putting him into a body that's going to reject him. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, I'm going to say something because we do watch two episodes. We do two episodes of podcasts. So sometimes I get confused with the very end of one episode and the very beginning of the next. Does Edward heal Al this episode? Yeah, he uh, patches his armor. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and he's like, I, I'm going to patch you up with what little metal you have. Are we to assume that Al's thinning out, like his metal's thinning out? Because every time he gets broken, Ed has to stretch out what's there. Yes, so it does seem like Ed is Ed is definitely thinning out the armor a little bit to extend it. So I feel like that's what we should be worrying about is that Al's armor is uh, it's going to be nothing soon. Maybe we're just going to have he's going to have to carry around the helmet. I'm worried about that part. So like that's yeah. Well, I guess we'll want to, we'll have to see. I think Edward is, or I think Alphonse is going to be fine for a while. And I think Alphonse is a, Edward can use other metal to attach to it. I think, well, I guess, I don't know why he didn't do it this time. If he could do that, because maybe he was just in a hurry. Cause I'm sure if they wandered around the city for a while, they would have found metal that they could have used, but who knows? Yeah. And then this episode ends with, and everyone knows that, you listen to podcast. I am an envy conspiracist, like with envy being able to shape shift. And when Winry was like, "Oh, Ed's shoulders," he's walking. I've never seen him walk like that before. A part of me is like, "Oh, is that Ed? Are we being tricked right now?" But I'm sure it's Edward, and he just has more confidence now. But a part of me now is always like, "Do we need to be on the lookout?" for shape-shifting. Yeah, maybe. But I, I also think, like, you're right, you think he has the most confident now. Like, because right before that, they have that conversation. Uh, uh, Edward and Al have the conversation about how they're going to kick Truth's butt and get Al's body back. So I think now he's just, like, very energized and everything and is holding himself high. And I mean, he also probably has a little bit of relief over, over the uh, transmutation that failed and everything. And, I think now they just has this new resolve and he's just kind of perked up and whatnot. And I think that's just attractive to, to uh Winry. Like she's starting to realize, Oh wow. Yeah. He's, I'm starting to see him as more of a man now than, uh, than just like the kid friend that I had. Yeah. But as we found out in this episode, Winry does not like short guys. Yes. So, that's why she said no to marrying both of them. So I don't know. Have, have, is Winry shorter than 
than Ed right now, or is he slightly taller than her? I I don't remember seeing them stand next to each other. I think Winry is slightly taller. But, oh, and I guess this could be my last point for this episode, is that was Ed always concerned about that that might not be our soul attached to the armor? Because he, in this episode, asks him about the memory, which he doesn't have any memory of, but Winry and Al say the exact same thing. And he's like, now we know for sure that that's Al's soul connected to that armor. How long do you think Ed's been questioning this? Probably a little bit. I mean, maybe there's... I'm guessing there's probably always been something in the back of his mind. Like, he failed to bring his mom back to life. So maybe there's a small part of him that thought, oh, I failed to bring Alphonse back from the gate. And what I really did was create a create something with Alphonse's memories, but not actually Alphonse. Or, or the things, that, the shared memories that Alphonse and I had. So when, yeah, when he asked the question about something that Ed wouldn't have known the answer to, that means that, yes, it is, in fact, Alphonse that he pulled out of the gate. Yeah. So I was just like, man, how long has Ed been questioning if this is Alphonse, is true soul in there? But now we, we know we're 100% on it, and I and they got a plan. So, yeah. Uh, this episode was really just them finally confronting their past and letting it go so they can move forward. Yeah, and it's a, it's great. It's a great closure to the chapter. They they, now they realize that they can't bring their mom back to life, and that that's impossible. And now they really have a full closure to that, and it's true focus on what we can do right now. So cool. I guess we can just jump into the next episode then, because I don't have any more either. Let's see, this next episode is Advance of the Fool. So, we're now catching up with Mustang, Riza, and Havoc. Mustang and Havoc are recovering in the hospital room as Riza's watching over them. Mustang starts to ponder why no one has come and tried to kill them yet. Because, you know, they just killed one of the homunculi. We then jump to the homunculi's lair, and Envy is just furious at Wrath, or as we know him, the Fuhrer. Uh, for not killing Mustang when he had a chance. Gluttony is very childlike, and he is very sad that Lust is gone, but it's like more as if he lost his mother figure than he lost a friend kind of thing. Apparently, Wrath didn't kill Mustang, as Mustang still has a use for him, and Father gave Wrath new orders on how to handle Mustang. Now, Al begins to wonder if his body has rot over time because clearly his body's just kind of sitting in the gateway and it isn't eating and drinking water. So Alf or Ed begins to think, well, maybe, and you know, this is just a theory. He's thinking maybe when we mixed our blood for that transmutation, it created some kind of weird spiritual bond. And so your body is getting nutrients from my body and that's why I'm not growing. And then Al starts to realize Oh, maybe, well, you know, Edward does seem to be really tired a lot. So maybe there is some truth to that. So we move a little forward. And Riza starts working with Mustang, trying to figure out where it is that they went when they ran underground from the third laboratory. She was able to determine roughly how many steps they walked, how long that would be. Uh, And then she created kind of a radius from the third laboratory. And amongst that 
radius or that diameter is, um, well, it's the uh, central command in the presidential palace, which kind of secures the thought to them that the military is definitely involved here. Not just the military, but possibly the Fuhrer. The Fuhrer. So they start to wonder if the Fuhrer is actually working with homunculi. Well, Havoc then announces that he is down and out for this because he is paralyzed from the waist down. Well, we see Mustang in like a waiting room area reading a book. And we we realize later that it's a book on the human spine. So it's like maybe he's trying to find a way to use alchemy to fix uh, Havoc's spine. Uh, Dr. Knox, who was the doctor who did the autopsy on on uh, the fake Maria Ross, comes and sits down. And yeah, he ID'd the body as being Maria Ross, even though it wasn't as a favorite of Mustang. Uh, Edward threw Breda, one of Mustang's men, uh, decides to give a note to Mustang. And the note was saying, hey, Dr. Marco may be able to help. He's a medical alchemist who has a philosopher's stone. So he sends Breda to go figure out where it is. Uh, Edward investigates the third laboratory, but he can't find the basement or the door to the basement. So somebody tried to seal up the, al- the entrance with alchemy. The brothers try to think of a way that they can capture the homunculi so they can interrogate them. They both realize that they are, in, they are sacrifices to the homunculi. Like they serve a important purpose. So the homunculi must want them alive as they have come and defended them in the past. And it also seems based on what Lust said to Alphonse before she died about how she needed or she was amazed that he had opened the gate and how she was upset that she had to kill somebody. Apparently they want alchemists who've opened the gate before. A notice goes out that Scar has returned to Central City and he has already killed three people. They mention the tattoo and that kind of alerts to Edward that Scar is likely that same person who killed Winry's parents. And Ed tells Al that. <clears throat> this actually then gives Al Ed an, <clears throat> sorry, this gives Ed an idea. If they get into a confrontation with Scar, the homunculi would then show up because they would protect Ed and Al to make sure they don't die. So they decide, okay, well, let's let's get Scar's attention. Scar will fight us, and then we will, once we deal with him, we can take care of the homunculi. Well, you know, Al starts to see holes in this plan. Like, well, Scar kind of beat us up last time, so how is he go? How are you going to handle him? And it's like, well, we got stronger, and then it's like, well, what what about the homunculi? What happens when the homunculi show up? Like, how are you going to deal with them? Well, Ling and Lon Fawn are listening in, and they appear, and they say, oh, well, we can help you with that. And so they decide to uh, help out, largely not because they care about the military or they care about what's going on in the country. They just want to get the secrets to immortality, and a homunculi would help with that. At first, Ed is very reluctant to have them help, but then when Ed realizes how much they had spent on room service... Uh, Ed, one, gets angry, but then says, well, yeah, you definitely owe us, so yeah, you could help. Winry says she was going to leave back to Rock, uh, to Rush Valley, and 
Edward, you know, gets in his mind, well, what happens if Scar breaks my automail again? So he asks Winry to stay. He doesn't say why he wants her to stay. He just says he wants her to stay. Uh, he doesn't say that, you know, he's, I'm planning on getting into a fight. So then we go to Breda real quick, who goes to the city where Dr. Marco is and goes into the house and there's, it is a mess. So clearly either Marco was killed or more likely kidnapped or he ran for his life. We go back to Havoc and Mustang. Havoc decides that it's time for him to retire and wants Mustang to forget him because he needs to move forward. He needs to keep his promise to Hughes and, you know, paralyzed guy is just going to hold him back. And so that that's kind of a heart heartful moment. Now, Edward goes around town and he just uses his alchemy out in the open. He calls himself a state alchemist and just does all of these minor things like, oh, I'm going to help you fix your vase and I'm going to fix your house. And I'm going to fix your, your your food shack and all that stuff. Just doing stuff around town so that people would start talking up Edward Elric and his name would spread and that would hopefully eventually get Scar interested in him. So then we see... Uh, then we see Scarf, sure enough, show up. Well, Mustang runs into them, and he's like, well, what are you doing? This is this is a great way for you to get killed. And uh, Riza is about to take a shot at Scar, but then Alphonse tells him no. Alphonse, sa- or Alphonse tells Riza no. Alphonse explains what their plan is. Their plan is to essentially... Use alchemy to, uh, to, to uh, I guess, fight Scar. And then once Scar and him fight long enough, that will lure the homunculi out. And Ling and Lonfar are going to capture the homunculi. Basically, the brothers are saying, we're just tired of people dying on our behalf. Uh, we are going to use ourselves as bait now. And this is the best, this is the best plan we have. So Mustang decides... Well, after Alphonse asks him to, or more likely tells him to, Mustang heads back to Fury's townhouse where he has all of this radio equipment. And he sends out a bunch of false messages uh, saying that Scar is pretty much everywhere in town. He's like in every sector. This was purposely to confuse the MPs so that they don't show up and shoot Scar or slow down the attack. Sure enough, it works because we see Wrath go out and try to uh, go and handle things, but then he runs into Gluttony and asks Gluttony to follow. Lon Fawn and Ling find Gluttony because they can sense his presence. And they really, they sense his Philosopher's Stone. And then, of course, we end at a re- weird cliffhanger where Wrath shows up and he says, well, this is no good for you to be able to sense our presence. I got to fix that. And he runs up at incredibly incredible speed. He like runs up a ladder to the building where they are and attacks Lon Fawn, and then we go to credits. What were your thoughts on this one, Jimmy? My thoughts were shocked. This is like a true cliffhanger. We've had some kind of some cliffhangers in the series so far, but this is like a true like stopping point. I I need to know what happens next. And, um, but my main thing is it's not a full thing, but 
Ed's nemesis does get slightly mentioned in this episode, which is, of course, Milk. Winry brings up Milk. And you know how much I love that that rivalry between Ed and Milk. Yes. Yes, that always comes up. Edward being short and Edward not drinking his milk. I love that Ed is always coming up with a another reason for why he's short. Uh, a few episodes back, it's because of the the weight of the auto mail, and this episode, it's because he's sharing his his nutrients in his body with Al's body on the other side, and that's why he's not growing. But when says that it's 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 because of milk. Yeah, and he was also, like, when we see Hohenheim in the previous episode, Hohenheim looks like a tall adult, so it's definitely in his DNA to be tall. So it's like, okay, well, why is he not tall? Kind of thing. So it's like, okay, okay, maybe maybe there is some truth to the nutrient thing. But at the same time, he clearly doesn't drink his milk or do any of the things that you need to do. I'm also wondering, is it a two-year difference between him and Al, or is it one year? I It's either one or two year. I honestly don't know. Because in the last episode, when Winry says that she only marries tall people, and they do like a, a chart of Ed, Al, and Winry as kids, Ed and Al are like almost the same height. I don't know. Is that like maybe they haven't hit the growth spur, or maybe it's, it's milk. You know, the lack of milk in Al's... Al's diet, but I'm always glad for Milk to make up yes. in an episode. The one thing, there were two things that stood out to me really in this episode. One, we start to see a little bit more of Mustang's character and the fact that he, like, he tries to separate himself from any kind of emotion because, you know, he mentions that his men was attacked or one of his men is down and that's why he's trying to help them. And, it, you know, it just sounds like he's talking about, oh, well, you know, this is a, this is my, my uh, subordinate. This is somebody I'm responsible for. But then I think he just really cares about him, too, like beyond just, oh, you, I'm responsible for you because you report to me. But he's just upset that he got attacked and he's tr- clearly trying to find a way to help him. We see him reading that book about the human spine. And my guess is he was thinking, well, I'm an alchemist. If I, if I read enough about this, I can probably figure out how to use medical alchemy to heal him. And so there was that that stood out to me that we got to really see more of Mustang's character and all of that. But then also I think the brothers using themselves as bait kind of showed that they are tired of people risking their lives and dying. I think I think we saw we saw Alphonse get that resolve in the previous episode when he defends Riza against Lust, and I think after seeing what happened to Havoc in that previous episode, and then the tough words that Hohenheim gave Edward about running away from their problems made him realize that we need to, you know, we need to take responsibility for our actions, and we need to get the answers that we need if we, we shouldn't be dragging other people into this and letting them risk their life when it's our problem. So I, the, the new resolve of the brothers to be willing to put themselves out there like that. Yeah. I, I really love the Mustang havoc storyline we're getting in this episode. And I don't know if the Mustang team was appointed to him. I kind of thought he picked all these people himself, but he, it seems like he's really creating a, a family 
of uh people and I can't remember the other guy's name and it's uh I'm drawing a blank right now, but I th- he either has like orange or red hair. He was the other person in the hospital room with them, and he goes to check on uh, Marco. Yeah, I think Marco was his name. Yeah, but he seems very invested in Havoc as well. Like he's like, we can't let Havoc just give up on himself, and it just it seems like Mustang has created this really tight knit group of people. He does. He does definitely. He's. It's more than they are his subordinates. They are definitely friends to him. He also does seem to be like he doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. So it seems like he he's like I don't want to let people know that I care about them. So he uses the words like "Oh, my men got killed" or whatever. Or, my men are under attack. Or "Thank you for saving my subordinate." You know, it seems like he doesn't want people to know that he's an emotional person, but clearly he is. Yeah. And uh, did he know the coroner? Like, he's like, we it's it's nice to have people I know or something, something like that. When they were talking in the, like the waiting room, he's it, it's mentioned that maybe they'd known each other before. Yeah. From the war in Ishval, because he talks about how they uh what was it? They said something to the effect of, you, you know, you die and, or you burnt them and I dissected their bodies. So, yeah, he was a coroner during the war as well. And that's probably how they ran into each other is just because they were both serving. Yeah, but he did feel like there was something suspicious about Ross's body, but he let it slide, which makes me feel like maybe Mustang has more people. Than we're knowing on the inside, like he has more connections than we think. Oh, absolutely, he absolutely has more people out there who trust him and who respect him, who help him. Like even in the previous episode, when when they revealed that Mustang actually had a plan the whole time for uh, uh, for killing Ross or supposedly killing Ross and everything. And he mentioned, like, oh, let me worry about the body. Because, what was it? Who's, I think, was it Havoc or I forget who said it, but somebody was like, well, what if they check the dental records? They'll be able to see it's not Ross. And then Mustang said, oh, well, let me worry about that. So, you know, I wonder if he pinged, um, if he pinged Knox beforehand to say, hey, I'm going to send you this fake body. Can you, can you ID it as being Maria Ross or? If they just kind of had a knowing relationship where somebody brought this body saying, oh, Mustang burnt Maria Ross alive and he realizes it's not Maria Ross, but he was like, well, okay, uh, clearly Mustang must be up to something. So let me let me just give him a break and say that this was her. Yeah, I, I, I find that interesting. Like we're seeing kind of more people who Mustang is uh connected to which is great and we do get another uh al gets in a backseat of a car scene in this episode which i love and you can't miss this one it's more exaggerated because mustang invites them to come in the car with them and al gets in the backseat and mustang gets yeah, and he's like in fact let's talk outside instead so at first they were all at mustang was in a car that pulled up and then Edward and Alphonse were outside of the car, and Ed and Al were like, "Oh, we, uh, you know, what are you up to?" And Mustang was like, "Well, we can't talk in public. Get into the car." And then when he realized, like, they were all squished up, he says, 
okay, you know what? On second thought, let's talk outside. I I love those moments, and it's uh, it's uh, the show always finds a way to give us a little like relief here and there, which I enjoy a lot. Yes, yeah, I I actually enjoy watching them fight with uh, what's his face. I'm drawing a blank on his name with Scar because Scar still has that resolve and he is giving it his all and the brothers have to like real the brothers can't kill him one it's against their beliefs but two you know if if the fight ends and the homunculi won't show up but then at the same time they can't let themselves get killed either and they know that Scar is determined to kill kill the um, state alchemist so it's there's not no scenario where Scar is going to beat them and then just leave. He's going to kill them. So it's just that whole, um, that whole them balancing that whole fight out. It was really cool seeing Edward cancel out Scar's attack. Like Scar's going to attack him, and then they kind of reach out hands, and it. I guess everything gets nullified, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, we see Lon Fawn and Ling hanging out. Apparently, it has to do with their... I guess I'll touch upon it later, because they were able to sense... Um, what's his face? Uh, Gluttony's presence. Because Gluttony is a Philosopher's Stone. Uh, what we've learned about Homunculi in the previous episode, Gluttony is essentially Philosopher's Stone. A Philosopher's Stone is created of multiple people. So, yeah, they... Uh, so, I mean, they were able to sense that Gluttony had a lot of souls in him, and that's how they were able to figure out who he was. And now they're going to have to go up against Wrath. And Wrath, I mean, Wrath has no problem killing his own people. We saw him kill the uh, Freezing Alchemist in the first episode, and then he killed all the Chimera. And what, so we, we know he has no problem killing people. He's definitely not going to have problems killing a foreign, you know, enemy, as they can call it. Yeah, and my my thought, kind of one of my last thoughts is on this episode is that our Ling and his crew, they keep saying like, oh, we're looking for the source of immortality. But are they really looking for a Philosopher's Stone? Because they have Al there, and they're kind of questioning him about his immortality. But never is there a point where Ling is like, we found it, this is the source of immortality, we just need to figure this out when he meets, when he sits down with Al, he's never like, this is it. We need to study Al. He's kind of, when they bring up the homunculi and kind of, I guess their story, I don't know if Ed or Al told him about the philosopher's stone, but as soon as they bring up that, they're like, yeah, that's actually the source we're looking for. He seems more excited about finding the homunculi than he was about, how Al revealed how his soul is attached to the armor. Well, I think in the previous episode, Al mentions that it's not true immortality. So I think that might have been a deterrent for him. And then in the when we first meet Ling, Ling does seem to be looking for a philosopher's stone because he mentions that he is looking for immortality or the answer to immortality because that is what the current emperor wants. And whoever can bring him the answer to immortality will become the next em- <clears throat> the next emperor. So I think they figure, well, there's this thing called the Philosopher's Stone that's of legend. And then this is the number one alchemaic country in the known world right now. So if we search here, 
we can either A, find a Philosopher's Stone, or B, find more information about the Philosopher's Stone, or C, find another answer for immortality that late lies within the realm of alchemy. I'm just wondering how they're going to split up the the riches, because Ed and Al need a, a homunculi, and now Ling wants like, a part of it, and now they've they've wrangled in Mustang in this and he's like, you got to share what you get too. So I wonder if they capture anything and then how they're going to divvy this up. But I mean, we end up with, uh, wrath, fear, Bradley cutting open, uh, lay Was it lay fawns? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping we pick up exactly from that moment in the next episode. That's seeing how it's been, I'm guessing that's the case. Yeah, I think I don't think they thought that far ahead, to be honest, to decide, oh, how are we going to split up these bodies or how are we going to split up the monkey light when we catch them? I think they're just kind of winging it and like, okay, once we get past this, we'll just we'll figure it out later. I, I am liking Gluttony, though. I mean, he does. He needs people. But if we get like a chibi version of him. Somehow, I I'm okay. I might be into that. Yeah, he's he's definitely like childlike mind, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, this episode definitely had the action in it, and I I'm I'm enjoying it. So I'm hoping we can carry that momentum through. I might have to, and I I might suggest this for everyone who's listening. If you're watching along with us, rewatch this episode before you go into the next one. I think that's what I'm going to do. That way I can just feel the momentum all the way through. Yeah, I think I'll do the exact same thing. And it, I, I do like, I mean, I say this every episode, but I think this is definitely the case here too. The The story is definitely starting to go. Like things are coming together. The, con- the connection between the homunculi and the military and everybody kind of working together to try to figure out what's going on. Like it seems like the story is finally coming, coming together and, and it's just like now going full steam ahead. Yeah, and I and I'm like we're not even halfway through, right? So this is great if we're moving like at this pace. I agree. I am looking forward to the next episode. I'm looking forward to all the episodes coming after this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to see everything come to a head. Cool. Do you have anything else on this episode? No, that was it. Yeah, that's all I have. So I guess we will See you guys next time. We will talk more about, I guess, Lon Fon's fate and how they fight and divvy out the homunculi and all that fun up full mill off and stuff. And I've been Jason. And I'm Jimmy. All right, talk to you guys later. Bye.